0: Peter two verses nine through seventeen. First Peter two uh, verses nine through seventeen. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor.
1: Good morning, everyone. And welcome to those who are at home that might be watching. For any of you who are here visiting, uh, we welcome you. We're glad to have you. Last week we were looking at uh, being being different, being standing out and being different as a Christian. And we're kind of getting back into that same thought this week with this lesson. We're going to be jumping into Romans chapter 13 now, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 10. I tried to I struggled with whether I want to look at verses 1 to 8, 1 to 9 or 1 to 10 and I realized that verses 9 and 10 actually go with that section of verses 1 to 8. So I included that in there. So and so Romans chapter 13 there's some important stuff here for us to learn as Christians, things that we need to know, things that are our Christian duty. And so it's very important for us to take a look at this. So in Romans chapter 12, uh, we talked about God's love, his great love for us. And so Paul is talking to this Gentile audience, Gentile Christians, and they needed to hear what what Paul said in light of their bad behavior toward the Jews. This kind of spills into this section in Romans chapter 13, but what he says has application for us today. And we see in chapter 13 instructing these new Christians, these Gentile Christians, how to behave and live in the world. Uh, of the first century before that he was dealing with how did they live with the jews who were persecuting them saying hey we're the special chosen people of god not you but now he's saying this is how you need to live while you're living in the world and so they need to know their christian responsibilities or duties and so just because we're christians doesn't mean that nothing of this world applies to us there is plenty of things that apply to us so let's start off with verse one of romans chapter 13. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. So God expects his people to listen to the governing authorities. That is to say, the government, because God established authority. Authority was and is put in place by God. We need to understand that as Christians. This does not mean that God approves of evil governments. It doesn't mean that God approves of evil men. But God has established authority. And so we need to understand that. The principle of a society at peace is from God, by his authority with rules, regulations, and laws to guide in order to bring about peace. So Christians are called by God to be involved in the world so that we may bring glory to God by our good lives and bring people to Christ. So we have a responsibility as we live in the world. Important to note here, many if not most scholars believe that the reason Paul was stressing that everyone must submit to the governing authorities was because the Jews were notoriously rebellious. You go back and you read about history. You see how rebellious the Jews are. And so here's Paul and he's telling these new Christians, these Gentile Christians, don't behave like the Jews. The Jews have a bad reputation. And they were supposed to be God's people. And we don't want you to have a bad reputation and end up just like the way they were. And so, so they're told to listen to civil government, which the Jews did not like to do. For the Jew, when the Messiah would come, they were expecting him to overthrow the Roman government and the governing authority at that time and establish an earthly kingdom. So even the disciples were guilty of this. We read in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, this is his disciples. This is his apostles that he had chosen is asking him, are you going to restore the kingdom back to his former glory the way it was in the time of King David? And, of course, that, that was never God's plan. That was never God's plan. The Lord came to establish a spiritual kingdom, and they were to follow the authority of the physical kingdom they were living in, which was the Roman Empire. Jesus expected them to do this. You might remember that Jesus said in Matthew 22:21, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Christians should not be viewed as anti-government. We shouldn't be viewed as anti-government. This was the accusation against Jesus, whether you realize it or not. That's the accusation that was thrown at Jesus, that he was anti-government, that he was trying to start a rebellion. And that wasn't the case. And of course, because of that, he was put on the cross and put to death. So we read in Luke chapter 23, verses 13 to 25, just to see this so that you can see for yourself. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. So that was Pilate's, what Pilate wanted to do. He didn't see guilty as, uh, Jesus as guilty. And so here, here's the Jews pushing, pushing. No, uh, he has to be crucified. He's guilty. So with one voice, they cried out, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. We'll talk about that in a moment. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. So you imagine, this is the Jews that were doing this. These were supposed to be God's people. And so Jesus is arrested. He's brought before Pilate. He's accused of stirring up the people to rebellion. That's that's the charge against him. He was accused of being anti-government. Even Pilate said he was innocent. So imagine, the Jews asked for Barabbas to be released. He was arrested for insurrection and murder. Well, insurrection means a violent uprising against an authority or government. So think about that. A violent uprising against an authority or a government. So they asked for Jesus to be crucified for supposedly stirring up the people to rebellion and asked for Barabbas to be released, who was not accused, but rather was arrested for a violent uprising against the Romans. Does that make any sense? We want this guy who we know did this, but we want you to crucify this guy who we're accusing of doing this. But there's no proof that he did it. So it doesn't make any sense, right? But Jesus did not rebel in any way. He obeyed the Roman government. He even paid his taxes to Caesar, and he taught his disciples to do the same. And Jesus, our Lord, expects us to follow the government, those who are in authority. The Christian is to have a humble, gentle obedient attitude, especially towards government, whether we like it or not. Whether we like it or not. We might not agree with whoever's in power and the decisions they're making, but we're to follow the government. We're to pray for our leaders. So that being said, it doesn't mean we are to disobey God in the process. We need to keep that in mind. Obey the government, but do not disobey God in the process. So let me give you an example. If the government told us We all have to bow down and worship a statue of the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Boom. So say they made a statue of Justin Trudeau, and they said, You've got to bow down and worship Justin Trudeau. We are not to obey that request. We're not to listen to that. That would be idolatry. So obviously we know that that's wrong, and we're not to do that. So you might be reminded of the account in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the the statue of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up and told them they had to bow down and worship it. Well, that's kind of where I got the idea of this, but just something a little more relevant so that we can understand. So if a statue were put in place, Justin Trudeau, and we were told you have to bow down and worship it, obviously no, it's not going to happen, right? So God comes first before government. God comes first before anyone else. We are to be law-abiding citizens, but... We are to put God first. We're not to be labeled anti-government. Jesus did not rebel against the authorities, and we're not to do that either. So we have to remember that as Christians. So now we come to verse 2 of Romans. Verse 2 of Romans chapter 13. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? He who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So as we said earlier, the Jews were really, really rebellious, very rebellious. And as a matter of fact, to add to that very point, the Jews were so rebellious that around 19 AD, Caesar Claudius had had enough of the Jews, and he had kicked them all out of Rome. And we can read about that in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. You read about that. That's the time where Paul runs into Priscilla and Aquila, the tent makers, and he spends time with them. And we understand that he must have converted them because later on they're trying to convert Apollos. But we see that Claudius, the Caesar Claudius, had kicked all the Jews out of Rome. That's how rebellious they were. Later, the Jews failed to accept Jesus, and they continued to give the Roman government a hard time. And judgment came. The Romans came down hard on them. History records that Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. because of the Jews' rebelliousness. That's how rebellious they were. The Romans were fed up and so was God. And this was known as the first Jewish revolt. The last and final Jewish revolt came in 132 A.D. And the Romans squashed it. It didn't happen. And so it apparently was very terrifying. Lots of death, lots of bloodshed. It didn't need to happen. They didn't need to be rebellious people. All they had to do is listen to the government and follow them. They just didn't have to do what they said that disagrees with what God says. And so Romans chapter 13, verse 2 tells us, those who rebel against the authority God instituted will bring judgment on themselves. Paul told these Christians not to act like the Jews. That's what they did. You're not supposed to do that. We're to be obedient to the government. We're to be good citizens. And we're not to bring God's judgment or the government's. We are to do the same. We're to submit to the governing authorities. Now, verses 3 and 4 of Romans chapter 13. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So if you're doing what is right, then you have nothing to be afraid of. If you're not obeying the government and you're breaking the law, well, then obviously you need to be afraid because you need to be worried that one day you're going to get caught, right? Law is not put in place with the intention of hurting us, but rather bring some order and peace to society. That's the intention of law. That is the will of God. Laws put in place to restrain unlawful conduct. If we didn't have laws, how bad do you think it would get? If we didn't have any laws in place here in Canada, how bad do you think things could get here in Canada? What kind of things do you think would would start popping up? What standard would we go by? Your standard? My standard? Whose standard would we go by? Would we live by a public group vote of what is acceptable? So God has established authority. God has put in place laws to help us. Verse 3 says, Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. I remember years ago when I was in Ontario, I was going to Bible college, and and I was preaching at various different congregations, smaller congregations, to help out. And I remember I had gone to, it was some kind of special weekend, whether it was an Easter weekend or something was going on, and I was coming back on a Sunday evening. I was trying to get back home to Kitchener-Waterloo, and they had a, a spot check there late at night. And the police were flashing the, the flashlight, looking at your eyes and looking inside. And what they were trying to do is catch people who had been drinking and who were trying to drive home because of long weekends. It's so a spot check. And so the police were checking that out. And when my turn came up and I pulled up, the police officer shines his flashlight in my eyes. And, you know, I like, okay. And, and then he says, uh, he says uh, have you been drinking tonight? And I said, nope. I said, I quit drinking a long time ago, and I said, I would never drink and drive. It's, and he says, very smart decision. He said, you have yourself a good night. And then he just said, you know, go ahead, continue, continue on. And so, you know, I proceeded on my way. But I was commended for doing what is right. I was commended for doing what is right. Rebellion only leads to destruction. When we do what is right, we don't have anything to worry about, right? Right. Paul said the one in authority Which wasn't just the Roman government But that also, included the, that also included The soldiers who were upholding the law In the first century Today we have the police Today we have police we have, we have firemen We have security guards We have lots of people who are in positions of authority And so these are people who are considered authorities And we should listen to them We should be of help if we can Not a hindrance They are God's servants to do you good Which means for your good To protect you. If we don't do what is right, then we should be afraid because the one in authority does not bear the sword for nothing, it says. Does that mean that he has the right to kill us? What is that talking about? Well, the sword is an instrument of punishment. The Greek word for bear means to have a burden, that is, to wear as clothing, to wear as clothing, or a constant accompaniment. So the Roman soldier back then wore the sword like a piece of clothing on his side. So he had it with him at all times. It was always there. And so that's what he's talking about. He bears the sword. He wears the sword. Just change the word with bear, bear for wear. It makes sense. He wears the sword. He doesn't wear the sword for nothing. And a lot of people have argued that that part of the verse where it says, for he does not bear the sword for nothing, means that he has the right to put you to death. That's what some people say. Commentaries say that too. But what Paul was saying was that if you do not do what is right... You should be afraid because the one in authority does not wear the sword. Today, wear the badge, wear a gun. He does not wear it for nothing. Paul was saying be afraid because he is the one with the authority. And he will use that authority to meet out justice with force if necessary, according to the laws of the land. And so as the rest of verse 4 says, he is an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Notice wrongdoer. If you're doing what is right, You're commended. But it's the wrongdoer that has to worry. Look at verse 5 now. Therefore, in light of everything he has said, therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Because of conscience. Paul had seen what happened to those he would call his brothers, the Jews, and he didn't want these Christians to get into trouble the way the Jews did. Submit to the authorities, Paul said. Not just because punishment might come to you, but because of conscience sake. In order to have a clear conscience, listen to the government. Listen to the police officer. Listen to whoever is in authority. Then you will have a clear conscience, knowing you did what was right in the sight of God. See? Clear conscience in the sight of God. Follow authority, and you know you will have a clear conscience in the sight of God. The Greek describes the word conscience As moral consciousness. Moral consciousness. So obviously that's applying, that's talking about a little bit more than just what we think, right? That means making moral decisions, consciously doing what is right. Verses 6 and 7 now. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So Paul talked about other people in authority who are God's servants. He talked about the tax collector here. These were the most hated people of that time. And and the Jews the Jews did not like the tax collectors at all. And so Paul's telling these people listen to even them. Listen to them, pay your taxes, because he is God's servant. Give to all what is due them in the position they occupy. Christians should not be involved in rebellions. Christians should not be involved in overthrowing governments with force. That's not Christian. These Christians were not to imitate the conduct of the Jews of the first century. Neither should we. So now we come to verses 8 to 10, the last verses of this section that we're looking at. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So love for God should be the motivator in all that we do. Everything. It's love for God that we follow the government. It's love for God that we listen to the authorities. Love for God should be the motivator in all that we do. If we truly love God, then we will obey authority. If we truly love God, then we will love our neighbor. You notice he changes over from government to neighbor here. So if we truly love God, then we will love our neighbor. Real love does no harm to its neighbor. Love is the fulfillment of the law. So why would you think that he would say that? Well, how is love fulfillment of the law? Well, when God gave the law to the Israelites, one of his intended purposes was to teach them how to love each other. That is something God had always wanted for his people, to learn how to love one another. Laws like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We hear that all the time, even in the world today. People love to quote that. Even if they're not even Christian, they like to quote that to justify things, right? But eye for an eye, two for a tooth, they were intended to make the Israelites think one about the other. If you don't want your brother to do that to you, then don't do it to him. That was the point of it. You should not want to see him hurt. That is not how the Israelites interpreted and understood that commandment, though, was it? They saw that as, oh, if you hurt me, I can take revenge and hurt you back. That was the complete opposite of what God had intended. That's not what God wanted. He wanted to have concern for one another. You know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you don't want that to happen to you, think about your brother. Don't do that to him. That was the idea. And so Jesus corrected this law and more. And he tried to address the principle of the law. You might remember Matthew chapter 5. He gives new instructions. He corrects all this thinking. It wasn't about getting revenge. It was about love and concern about your neighbor. That's what, that's what the law was all about. So Paul's message in everything that we looked at to these Christians is the same for us today. Be good citizens and live good lives so that your good behavior would glorify God. Well, the Jews who were God's special people already had a bad reputation for being hard people to deal with, rebellious and stubborn. God doesn't want that to be us. God didn't want that for these people that Paul was speaking to. God doesn't want us to be that way. God doesn't want his people having a bad reputation. We are not to be anti-government. Secondly, be humble people showing proper respect to everyone. That's been addressed in the text. God wants us to show proper respect to everyone. How do you feel when you see someone being very disrespectful to others? How do you feel when you see somebody being very respectful to others? That is what God wants to see. And thirdly, love your neighbor as yourself. This is something that we read in a few places in Scripture over the last few months. It has always been God's desire for his people. When God gave the law to the Israelites, it was intended to teach them to have mutual concern and love for one another. Love does no harm to its neighbor. God doesn't want his people hurting each other. That is completely opposite to God's nature and character. God is love. God doesn't behave that way. He doesn't want us to behave that way. So I want to finish with one last passage of scripture. Take a look if you will at 1 John chapter 4. And we'll finish with this. 1 John chapter 4 starting at verse 16, the second half of verse 16 down to verse 21. And here is what we read. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, Cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command whoever loves God must also love his brother. That was always God's plan from the beginning. When the law was given to the Israelites, that's what God wanted. So let's live good lives and love our neighbors. It is our Christian duty. Let's listen to the governing authorities. It is our Christian duty. And by doing so, we honor and please our God who loves us very much. If you are here today and would like to know how you can become a Christian and live a life that pleases God, I invite you after worship service to come and find me or Chad or one of the elders or someone else in the congregation you trust and hear the gospel message of Jesus. Let's stand and sing our last song in the morning.